Caesar, self-appointed dictator for life, arrived at the Senate and was presented with a petition to recall somebody from exile. Other senators crowded round to offer support. Caesar waved them away, but the senator grabbed his shoulders and pulled down Caesar's tunic. Caesar cried out, "Why? This is violence!" At the same time, Casca produced his dagger and made a glancing thrust at the dictator's neck. Caesar turned round quickly and caught Casca by the arm. He shouted in Latin, "Casca, you villain! What are you doing?" Casca, frightened, shouted, "Help, brother!" to another senator. Within moments, the entire group, including Brutus, was striking out at the dictator. Caesar attempted to get away, but blinded by blood, he tripped and fell. And the men continued stabbing him as he lay defenseless on the lower steps of the portico. According to Eutropius, around sixty men participated in the assassination. Caesar was stabbed twenty-three times. The Roman Republic was suddenly as dead as Caesar. The long-lived Roman Empire was about to begin. So I know this is one of your favorite people in history, and and Antony Medera actually believes that he is、um, a reincarnation of Julius Caesar. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So why is he your favorite? I just love his energy. He's he's just he's got massive amounts of energy. He's committed. It's just he's just a very very charismatic. Energetic person, ambitious. Ambitious. That's the correct term. Ambitious. Very ambitious. All right. Well, where do we begin with Julius Caesar? He's one of the most well-known people in history,、um, and certainly in ancient history.、Um, he changed the face of the Roman Republic and made it an empire. Really, he was the first person called dictator, which now has a terrible kind of prejudice associated with it that someone who is a dictator is necessarily bad. He didn't see himself as being a bad guy, though. They could have done a lot worse, Rome. As the dictators, they could have done a lot worse, and actually, they did. In the years to come, post Augustus, they did a lot worse. So he was an incredible administrator. So he did a lot for Rome on the administrative side. Dictator, yes, but he put a lot of positives into it. So where did he start off? I mean, Caesar was a military man from an early age, and he was. Part of the first triumvirate, which was was him and Crassus, who was the richest man in Rome. Correct. And correct. Pompey. Correct. So that was the first triumvirate. But I think just to paint a context, and the reason why he needed a triumvirate was he was, let's call loosely, part,、uh, born into a noble family, patrician, patrician family. So they had the plebs and and the patricians, and they, he was born into a patrician family. But they had fallen on seriously hard times. And to such an extent that he, I won't say he's living in the slums, but he lived in a very poor part of Rome growing up. That part of him stayed in him for the rest of his life, and that's what people like Cicero and Cato and the Senate feared the most: was that he was definitely for the people. He understood the people. He could speak to the people. People would follow him to their death. And why that scared them so much was because they needed to protect their wealth. Their lands, and they could see the danger coming in what he wanted to do. 
so that's that was the the the, the greatest danger from they, their side. They called Caesar's people the populares, the populists, and the old school, the patricians, were called the optimates. They were more the kind of aristocracy that had ruled Rome for the longest time. But he obviously is most well-known to people because of all his accomplishments, the Gallic Wars, the crossing of the English Channel, he conquered Britain, the Rhine River he crossed, and then his crossing of the Rubicon upon his re-entry into Rome, which was an act of war, where he was basically saying to the Senate, I'm coming back as the first and most powerful citizen of Rome, and it's about time you took notice of me. I now have come to get what is mine. Correct. Having said that, it was the same thing. The Senate basically want to get rid of him because they knew that they're going to be compromised terribly if he's going to take over. So, and, and they weren't really giving him much choice. Was everyone in the Senate his enemy? No. There were some people that, were, that supported, but very, very little. He did, didn't have massive support. Mark Antony was in the Senate at the time, and he was thrown out. Just after he crossed the Rubicon, Mark Antony was thrown out in support of Caesar. But Caesar, prior to that, he was very careful in the way he grew himself and step by step built himself up. So um, he, law was a big part of his life. So that's where his administration part came. He was the nephew of Marius. And Marius, at that particular time of Roman history, Marius was the leading senator in the Republic, Followed by Sulla. Sulla was the first proper dictator, yes. actually. This leads me to a story that depicts the character of Julius Gaius Caesar. Sulla finally took over from Marius. Mm-hmm. Marius passed away and he took over from Marius and he was actually, like you said, a proper dictator. Then at that time, Julius Caesar married um, a family member of Marius, his first wife, Cornelia. And What transpired after that, when Sulla came back into Rome, he said, you will immediately divorce. I will will forgive you, and there will be no punishment. You divorce. Yeah, you divorce her, and we'll leave it at that. So in front of everybody in the Senate, he refused. And then he was stripped of his priesthood everything, and, and he, a bunch of other things. But he knew when he had his back against the wall, he knew what, what he had to do. So he wasn't brazen. He just got the hell out of town. So he got out of town, he, he laid low for a while, but that just showed the character of the man. And then when he was forgiven and he came back into Rome, and subsequently Sulla did pass away. But strategically, he always had the Senate against him. And that's why he needed very cleverly to put together the triumphate to give him the necessary power to be able to set himself up in a province and to build his wealth. In some way, I suppose Caesar was almost defined by his enemies you know, whether he was fighting in Gaul against Vercingetorix, the great Gaulish chieftain who he humiliated horribly and had paraded naked through the streets of Rome with all of his weapons on a cart, chained. Whether it was the Senate, which you refer to as his constant enemy, whether it was Sulla or Pompey later on, um, whether it was eventually the, the senators who, who stabbed him to death. Ultimately, he's defined by a lot of these enemies, but he was tremendously successful in war. And he wrote a diary which chronicled all of his successes in military campaigning, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, the Gauls, the Britons, the Picts, uh, all these people that he either conquered or negotiated out of their territory. And he did a lot to expand the Roman Empire and to keep Rome wealthy and, and satisfied while he was on campaign. But he was also greedy and ambitious and didn't uh, leave it at that. He wanted his 
you know, fair share of the, the spoils. There's no doubt he was greedy and ambitious, and his self-belief was just incredible. Right in the very beginning, he went to a military campaign, and he just showed himself to be incredible. That was in, in modern-day Turkey, and Crassus and Pompey, Pompey had a massive ego that he was the greatest general that had ever lived. But Caesar was was He's superior. He was superior. But he started showing himself as a great military leader and at the forefront of battles, also similar to Alexander, is that he had his own horse. I don't think there was a name that was given, but it was very, very similar that he had the same horse, always at the forefront of, of, of the battle. He did get injured a few times. Then after the first military campaign that he went on, that we're aware of, but there is talk that he went on the military campaign with Crassus quell the Spartacus uprisings. Hmm. So Spartacus was that famous story about the, the gladiator. gladiator. Yeah. So there are stories that he was part of that. But anyway, on his way back, he came back to Rome and then he went to do a public speaking course of all things hmm. in Rhodes and pirates got him. Oh, yeah. And and that's a scary thing to happen. But the month that he spent with the pirates, he had them cowering before him <laughs> and they were they treated him like a king. And then, he, and then they said, what are you going to do when we let you go? He says, I'm going to get a fleet of vessels and I'm going to come and murder each and every one of you. They let him go and he got a fleet of vessels and murdered every single one of them. Yeah, so he was a man of his word. He was a man. Vengeful. He was a vengeful. And what he did was, especially in the Gallic Wars, he would always give people a chance. So he would overthrow a town and he wouldn't burn it to the ground. He'd say, okay, so you're now part of the Roman Empire. You need to pay taxes. We take a few slaves with us. Some of you join our legions. He would never destroy the town. So that built his, his image of being this great leader. But some didn't want to do that. Mm. And then the retribution was just scary. He burnt the towns. He slaughtered and killed women and children. Then he went absolutely overboard if that didn't succumb to the mighty Caesar. Sure. Caesar's also fascinating because he had Cleopatra in his life. He had a relationship with her. They're supposed to have had a son together. He adopted the future emperor Augustus as his own and groomed him to be his successor. He was very close to Mark Antony. Mark Antony was like his second in command, right? That's correct, yeah. And he really didn't stop at just being in charge. He wanted everybody to understand that he was a god king. And this didn't sit well with Romans because they were used to a republic where they could vote for people, where there was more of a, a kind of system of the patricians and the plebs that you outlined earlier. So he had a tough time convincing everybody. A big part of his tenure when he was a consul was to try and bring across, and especially Cicero, he would visit him on his travels. He would spend a weekend with him to try and convince him to, because he was the he was the one that could really pull the whole Senate around towards him, mm. but Cicero was very circumspect and he never fully came across. So in the, ultimately, in the end, Caesar knew what he wanted to do, and that comes back to the right the beginning of the introduction, the Rubicon River. What I've looked at in the history of Julius Caesar, he lamented heavily on this. He looked back; he wasn't sure backwards and forwards to see if this was the right thing to do if he was going to cross the Rubicon. Because he knew that that was, that was his final act of defiance. And he fine. could never be a legal citizen under the Republic again after. Correct. That. And Gareth, you know that he showed it. It was actually quite sad because he jumped into the icy waters of the Rubicon and he pulled his, his legion across, one legion. He went into Rome. What happened? Pompey took everybody. He said, no, I'm not going to hang around for Julius they, Caesar to they come. They evacuated, yeah. Exactly. And they went across to Greece to build a massive army against him. So he came into Rome. There was nobody there. 
there was very few senators, nobody to greet him. It's definitely not. After what he had achieved in the Gallic Wars and what he'd done in Spain and all that he'd done for Rome to grow the empire and in Britain to, to a certain extent, although that, you know, obviously it was a tough nut to crack and he didn't really get into it so much. That was more Claudius. But he was very disappointed that all of this had amounted to nothing. Exactly. And then you know what he did? He turned around and left Rome. He went to Spain where he knew there were the Pompey, his, his big competitor now, um, his, his enemy. He knew he had um, people that were sympathetic to Pompey, so he destroyed them in Spain. But because he's such an incredible orator, an incredible leader of men, he got most of those, those, those Romans, because it's from our civil war, mm. to join him. Yeah. So he built his legion. You know, what's interesting is they, they've looked at the works of Plutarch and they've figured out that he might have actually had epilepsy. I've read that, yes. And he has also been described with various behavioral manifestations, headaches, vertigo, some kind of giddiness, you know. These these things might have indicated that he was not a very healthy guy. He might even have had a stroke um, later on in life. So there are people who wrote about him as being tall of stature with a fair complexion, shapely limbs, a somewhat full face and keen black eyes. But um, we're used to those portrayals of him with very little hair, yeah. a laurel wreath around his head. I've, I read somewhere that the reason for the laurel wreath was because he was quite a vain man and he, mm. he needed to hide his… His baldness. His baldness. But he's, he's rumored to have been homosexual, but then in ancient Rome that wasn't a big deal. No, it wasn't at all. And there are many literary works that he left, his diaries and, and plenty of other things. But he's, he's also the name Caesar was actually a title. Because Julia was his family name, Correct. Julius. And Gaius was his first kind of name. First yes. name. Um, but Caesar obviously became Kaiser, which is the German title for emperor. And it's come to mean emperor all over the world. Tsar also comes from Caesar, the Russian Tsar. And Gareth, when you talk about trying to look into a little bit to his character there, he actually, you know, it's hard to say, but I think he had a, quite a serious sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Um, the one point where they were really so badly outnumbered because he had an incredible speed. That was his claim to fame. And that's what I noticed with Alexander, the speed. You know, the, the, the guys are pitching the tent and the next minute, oh, you know, it's going to take a couple of days to get here. So we pitch our tent and then we'll sort <laughs> ourselves out. These are not small distances. No. And then the next minute, they're like standing outside ready to fight. So they have to start <laughs> looking for their swords and their, their shields because he got there so quickly. He used to go over mountains. Uh, it was very, very Alexander-like. When he was 32 years old, he was in Spain, and he went to a certain place where he was going to, where there was the gods, where there was a place where they could pray to the gods. And uh -huh. he went and he spent some time there. There's a picture of him sitting on his, his fist, and he said how upset he was that at the age of 32, he hasn't conquered half of that, what Alexander had done when he was the same age. Yeah, he was Deep, deeply disappointed in himself. Yeah, I was deeply, deeply disappointed. But what? just the last point in terms of the sense of humor, he tripped over his robe, getting off his vessel, going into Africa to try and destroy King Tutu. And he fell f face first, <laughs> flat into the sea. And people, that you know, the Romans were very suspicious. And they thought, no, this is a bad omen. We're going to lose the war. So he quickly stood up and he says, I now hold in my hands a piece of Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about the assassination, the most famous thing about Julius Caesar, the Ides of March, the Senate? So he was warned by his wife. He was warned by so many people. His wife said she had a terrible feeling about him going into the Senate that day. And he also felt uneasy, but he would never not do it. He was preparing to leave, to go fight the East. He wanted to extend the borders. And so he, um, um, 
he had to go. He, it would be a massive snub not to go. But his wife was so convincing that he decided not to go. But it, what had happened was they'd sent Brutus in because they were so close. He loved Brutus. Hmm. And Brutus loved him to convince Julius to go. And Brutus said to him, look, it's going to be a massive snub on the Senate. So he went. And, I mean, literally minutes after he entered the room, they, they murdered him. Most famous murder in history. Correct. In fact, when Dante wrote the Inferno, the lowest circle of hell where the devil actually lives, in his mouth is where Brutus is. That treachery was regarded as the greatest treachery of all history. Sure. Yeah, it's quite something. You too, Brutus. Nobody knows if they actually said that. Et brute. Yeah. You know, that could have been a bit of an urban legend. But anyway, it sits nicely. So Julius Caesar, one of the greatest military commanders, a man of, of incredible force and will, um, who managed to bend all of Rome to his will. It's just absolutely unbelievable. And if you think about what he left in his wake and the fact that all these characters we've just mentioned outlived him, Augustus and Brutus and Mark Antony and Cleopatra, and what happened in the, in the years after Caesar's death, was something else. They eventually burnt his body in a very famous uh, funeral, which has been documented by everyone, including Shakespeare, in subsequent works. Um, they, they burnt Caesar in the Forum in Rome, and there's still a little temple where people still put roses down at the exact site of Julius Caesar's uh, cremation. It's called the Tempolo Julii, I think. And that obviously was where Marcus Mark Antony was supposed to have given that great oration, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Yeah, that was one of the famous speeches that got everybody to go, along with Octavian, his, his nephew, to go and crush Brutus. Hmm. And he did, he really did, he did crush them. And he avenged his, his uncle's death. In every way. Yeah, he did. Yeah, et tu Brute. <laughs> Veni vidi vici. Yeah, that was what he said. That was when he was in Africa. Yeah, I came, I came, I saw, I conquered, yeah. Veni Vidi Vici. And his also, the other famous line that he, um, he gave was when he did cross the Rubicon, he said, the die is cast. Yes. Alia yakta est. Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History, brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. This is CliffCentral.com.